I used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. All right, who do we have next? Oh, Dan, Daniel Ludi, uh, Dan Luddy. I used to think that my life was a tragedy, but now I realize it's a fucking comedy. Perfect. That's perfect. You should be Arthur Fleck, Dan. <laughs> let's reshoot it. God, let's, somebody <laughs> call Todd Phillips. Let's get. It. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Ewing Bang Podcast. This is your host, Emil Wang, and I am joined today by a very special guest. If you couldn't tell from the Epic Table read in the beginning, Dan Luddy of uh, our previous episode reviews of Infernal Affairs, The Departed in the Room, has joined us today. Dan Luddy, how are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you guys for having me back, inviting me again. It did. It, it's been about two years since Jeff and I have had you on the pod, and Jeff, no, Jeff's always asking. Yeah, Jeff's always asking about you. Oh yeah, my man. goodness! Well, it's 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 finally time to be back. Where, where Jeff Lou had a good title for this episode. What was it? What was it, Jeff? Departed two. The departed name. <laughs> <laughs> the re-departed name. <laughs> so Dan has joined us to talk about the movie The Joker. Now, for you listeners just joining this pod or just tuning into this podcast for the first time, uh, Jeff Lou and I did a Joker preview episode uh, just last week. So, if you haven't had a chance yet, I would say start off with that episode before you listen to this one. That being said, Dan, you and I saw this saw Joker together last week, but we didn't really get to talk about what your thoughts were on the previous Jokers. Yes, uh, it was interesting to me to listen to what you guys had to say about the previous Jokers. I mean, I, I am coming at this as a DC Comics novice. Uh, I, I know, filthy casual. Know, <laughs> filthy casual, yes. I know the reference. You gotta listen to episode one. Um, yeah, so uh, I really enjoyed uh, the Heath Ledger Joker. I, you know, of course saw the Batman, uh, the Michael Keaton and the Jack Nicholson Batman movies when I was a kid, too. And, you know, I also saw some of the reruns of the 60s Joker. So um, familiar with all those and the different sort of directions that they all went with from the over-the-top 60s version to the gangster Jack Nicholson, to the more dark Heath Ledger. And in general, I'd say I agree with you guys about like what worked and what didn't for all those. And so, yeah, oh, I think that you and I because... saw Suicide Squad together too. Oh, I see. I didn't even want to mention that, but, you know, here we are. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so we'll just we'll just kind of tiptoe around that one but uh <laughs> and you know in general i was going into it um you know i haven't really read all the the comics or the graphic novels and um i watched some of the batman animated series but certainly not to the depth that you guys had so uh, i was going into it saying all right is this just going to be an enjoyable fun movie to watch and would I learn, you know, something more about it? And so I don't know how this compares to all the backstory. That's for you guys to to, to fill me in on. Um, but, you know, I, I'd say in general, just to open it up, uh, I thought the movie was enjoyable. I enjoyed the the, the acting. I enjoyed the, the style that the movie was in. I think the storyline, and we'll dig into this a bit more, left a lot to be lacking. See, this is why I like Luddy. This is why I like Luddy. He, he comes in and he provides, like, 
you know, an unbiased opinion about like the stuff that we have going on here. If it was just you and me, it'd just be it'd just be a hate fest. (laughs) This is is me balancing it out because you you know you guys come in with expectations, right? Because you like (laughs) you want to see you want to see a certain Joker, right? And so I'm just like, oh, a fun movie. Let me go in off the street and see this. So (laughs) perfection. (laughs) And, And maybe that's how Jeff, you and I should be going to watch movies sometimes. You know, we should treat every movie like you know the fast and the furious or something just <laughs> zero expectations but see that's the thing though I, i'm glad i'm glad dan is giving us a different perspective on this but like on the on the fast and the furious stuff it's not it's not being marketed as a as a Dwayne Johnson, like Jason Statham, turn off your brain and strap in sort of movie. This is like, oh, yeah, you're going to think during this motherfucker. <laughs> could could you imagine, like, at the Venice Film Festival, they gave a 20-minute standing ovation for Hobbs and Shaw 2? <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> Maybe Next year. there. <laughs> But that's a good question, though, because this was kind of geared towards, you know, you guys, the the, the fans, the, the 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 deep, you know, the the comic book nerds, not. And what? so, how dare you he, call me a nerd, so Dan? Dan? That's Dan, bullying. Dan, Dan Luddy just put, picked out three categories that we were supposed to belong to, and I'm I'm like notching them off. I'm like Emil doesn't belong to a single one of these categories. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fine, but. It is it is geared towards people who enjoy uh, the, all the all the forms that Batman has come in or or the, that that universe and sure. so, but at the same time they, they you know they have to make this appealing to a, a wider audience and how do you guys think that worked because I mean it it sounds like you know just what I'm reading from you guys is that it, it's not very good in terms of fitting into the the dc universe and i think as a standalone movie you know for someone who's not familiar with that like it's it's okay but it's not gonna get people excited about learning more yeah and i think one of the things that i talked about in the preview episode and still holds true is that this movie could have just been about a serial a serial killer named arthur i think at the end of this movie i I, I felt like it would have the movie would have been better if they didn't try to tie in any of the Batman universe because the moment you tie it in, then you're expected to justify certain things or explain certain things. Are, are you talking about when Joker tried to give hepatitis through to young Bruce Wayne when he stuck his fingers in his mouth? <laughs> I don't know what part you're talking about right now. <laughs> That's how you get hepatitis? Oh, man. I have no idea. I, 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 I better stop uh, sticking my hand, my head in fences and letting, That's letting the, creepy that, men play with my mouth. <laughs> That's called the Aziz. <laughs> let's let's back this up to things that we like because I, I, I think, Dan, um, it, the, the positive person that you are um, – <laughs> wanted to start this episode off with with, uh, with 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 the good things about this movie and and there were definitely a Dan, a, Dan is the hero that Gotham <laughs> deserves <laughs> one one lone vigilante standing up for this movie <laughs> <laughs> okay. The good okay. Thing, I'm going to start with Joaquin Phoenix's performance because I, I do think it was very, very good. And, you know, he's 
well known to be a you know a, a method actor in in the in his previous films. Uh, my brother was talking about this yesterday. He was like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix. He he's a great actor, but he never does anything fun, right? He, he's never a fun character in any of his movies, and I think that kind of holds true to to this film too. I mean, the the Joker in this film very well could have been you know fun and crazy, but he, he really wasn't fun. Which yeah, I. I would agree with that. It wasn't, um, he, he, you know, when he starts descending into madness, he didn't sort of have this sort of crazy lunatic haphazardness that I would expect of a Joker with still a twinge of sadness to the whole thing. But man, that, that laugh just sticks with you for days and it's just creepy. I, I wonder how many hours he spent just like staring in the mirror, laughing to himself to get like the right uh, levels <laughs> to that and just to be able to do it on command. Yeah, the right cadence and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, dude, it's hard. No, I, you know that. You know, I'll I'll, I'll spin it off of what Dan said. Uh, I agree. Like, um, when I was, you, you know, the first twenty minutes of this film, I was sitting there and I was watching it, and I was like, my skin was crawling. I was uncomfortable. I was like, Christ, that's like, it's 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 creepy and it's disheartening and it's sad and it's all those sort of things, you know, and the and life it itself for makes... him. I mean, the laugh itself kind of ties into it because, like, they get they give the explanation relatively early that the laugh is kind of a neurological disorder, something like Tourette's or something like that. And I thought that, okay, I mean, frankly speaking, when I saw that, I was like, God, I can't believe that they're doing this. But Joaquin Phoenix kind of puts a kind of brutal authenticity to it. Like, he really does sell it. And I've known people with Tourette's before and it's it's kind of like crushing to watch sometimes because it's a person who really is not in control of their own body so in terms of bringing that level of discomfort you know like oh I'm trying to be nice but I don't know how to approach this person sort of thing um I, I feel as though Joaquin Phoenix really did bring that level of authenticity to it because I don't think Arthur Fleck started off as a bad guy by by you know any any metric you know he was just he's just kind of like a, a guy who's got gotten past the ability to interact socially on a nor- on any sort of normal level and is just trying to get by on a day-to-day basis and he really like brings forth that level of misery to just you really believe it it's very very believable in the in the first 20 minutes of this film and he's really really pitiful um and you know that that's joaquin's joaquin phoenix's bread and butter there he's able to play this you know this character actor that's this character that's very familiar if you know anybody with that type of mental illness like something similar to that and at the same time kind of adding a layer of like oh this is what you don't see this is what happens behind the scenes and i believe every part of it for the first 30 minutes that i'm watching it i agree about the level of discomfort that the the audience feels my problem with the movie and this is nothing to do with Joaquin Phoenix is the reactions from the characters themselves, like they're the way they respond to them are all characters to like, um, you know, w- of what normal people would respond. Right. And, and maybe I, maybe I live in a 
you know, in a bubble that makes me think this way. But if I saw a dude laughing maniacally on the train, I wouldn't be like, oh, hey, Jeff, Jeff, Dan, let's go kick this guy's ass, you know. Um, or if some dude was making my kid laugh on a bus, I wouldn't be like, yo, would you stop creeping my kid out? Like, it, it just seemed the responses to this person who had clearly had a mental illness was uh, was a little extreme and not believable. But I, I think we can get into that a little later or get into it now, whatever. <laughs> well, I think that gets into the one of the challenges I had with the, the storyline was just like they're trying to show his descent into madness, basically, and they're trying to do it on an accelerated timetable. So, like, hit, you know, these people are like you're saying are caricatures that like, you know, have to overreact to things in order to like get, you know, to, to so you can see this descent and to see that him disconnecting from the world and getting, you know, um, pushed down further and further. Um, and yeah, I would agree that like some of those interactions, it just didn't seem to warrant, um, you know, the, the reaction that it, that it did get, or just like the whole, I mean, situation with the three guys, on the chain, like, like it just seemed really, really forced. I don't know. Would you guys agree? Yeah. No, I think Don, Donald Trump, no, I thought, I thought Donald Trump Jr. did a fantastic job. Um, <laughs> I thought that was Eric. Oh, sorry. That's right. <laughs> Eric Jr. Right, he was the blonde hair. I got, I got, I I get them confused sometimes, but like, you know, his, uh, his first foray into acting was just really good. You know, and I know he brings a lot of natural experience to that role, but man, like that was really impressive. You know, you could really feel the sexual harassment lawsuits kind of just like creeping over his shoulders. It's, you know, it, there's, there's levels to that character. Now, he wasn't just a guy who got shot by Joker. He, he, he was a businessman first. Okay. But I mean, like you guys both touch on uh, a good point. And I think this is where the movie, I, I, I kind of want to bring it back to the good aspects of what I think this movie was and what I think this movie did really well in, I, I think it was a four part, it was a four act movie. I think in the first act, they what they did really well was they set the stage really well. They They put up all of the exposition that they needed to, oh, you know. The garbage hasn't been taken out in a long time. Everybody's getting mad. And you're just like, okay, you know what? If I was in Gotham or whatever, New York City, uh, you know, in a on a hot summer, you know, uh, three-month period and the garbage wasn't taken out, you know, people would people would be getting mad, you know? And you get Arthur set up with a social services person who also, you know – is a kind of a standard government worker. She seems to be a DMV employee with a degree, kind of, you know, she's there. She's got, no, I'm, I'm serious. She it's, it's what you get when you get a public defender or some other equivalent. She's a social worker. She has this, she, she wants to help people, but she's so inundated with all this crap that it turns her job essentially into a joke. And Joaquin Phoenix's initial interaction with her was really good. And it kind of built up. It's like, I feel as though you're not listening. You you never listen to me. You know, you never listen, whatever. I think that feeling that Joaquin Phoenix elicits and the environment that's built around it was phenomenal because it's something that if you have dealt with government employees, if you've lived in a city, if you've done, if you if you've known mentally ill people, 
all of those things, if you combine them, you're just like, wow, you're really painting a vivid picture here. It's and and that's that's what it is. If you took a still life of the first 30 minutes of this film, I think it is horrifyingly gorgeous. You know, it's it's really detailed. It's very colorful. It's got a lot of different characters and you can identify all the distinct parts. It's only when those parts start moving that things kind of fall apart. But the setup is beautiful. And I, I think that's what they built the trailer on. Well, Thank I think you. that um, that kind of, to Jeff's point um, that that setup, I think they did really well. And and as part of that, the the, the setting, the scenes, the the cinematography, like you got that sense of like late seventies, early eighties New York. It was sort of like yeah. a homage to like you know Taxi Driver and these other movies and things that like you just like it. I think that was a good setting for it. It was a little strange in that um, that meant in the time frame, it was almost like Joker's like. 15 years older than Bruce Wayne, which I don't know how that works compared to like, you know, in the comics and things, but um, uh, in general, I thought that that, yeah, they got that gritty New York city slash Gotham city feel. Jeff Lou, you hear that new New York. We're talking about New York again. <laughs> yeah, but it's not New York when you live there. So you don't have to be pretentious about it. <laughs> I will say, you know, I, that, that stairwell that he, he, or the stairway that he walks up uh, to get home, um, really looked like one that I had to walk up to get home in upper Manhattan. And I looked it up to see like, Oh God, was it that same stairway? And no, it wasn't. They actually shot some of those scenes in Newark because New York, it's city it's itself clean. doesn't look as terrible anymore. So sorry. New York, <laughs> sorry for anyone this, that that's from a, Newark, New Jersey. This is, this is supposed to be shot in New York, but for the really terrible shit, we needed to go across <laughs> New Jersey, across the pond. <laughs> Sorry, New Jersey. <laughs> All of the shit, none of the glory. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought the scenes of uh, the trash piling up in the city, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's uh, me being pretentious again. But I was like, Dude, that, that's just like Saturday night any, anywhere in New York City. There's just always <laughs> trash piled up. Like, it's no big deal. You just deal with it. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> okay, all right. So, but on, on that point, that's what I'm saying. You know, like... Yeah. I think I think you you as a normal person and Dan as a normal person, this is stuff that you deal with normally, you know, like um, in any big city, you know, if if San Francisco or uh, Los Angeles, uh, you know, you see a bunch of trash piled up on on the side of the road, you're just like, oh, shit, is it Thursday? You know, (laughs) what's going on? You know, and I, I feel as though that was that was kind of a very shallow reason that they gave um, mm. for the city to begin unraveling, you know? Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. a really good point. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, just a garbage man strike. It's like, man, who, who knew that the garbage men were, were the, were the glue that held us all together. Right. It's not, had nothing to do with crime or had nothing to do with, um, you know, homelessness or anything like that. Uh, you're right. That that's, that's a very good point. Um, I want to take this over to uh, other other parts that we enjoyed. I, I thought a lot of the scenes were very well shot, uh, even his apartment. I, I really liked his apartment. I thought I thought that was a really good setting. Just the the entrance into his apartment, just that old dingy elevator, um, and then just yeah, like his like the grimy kitchen that he had to use to you know cook for his mom or whatever. All of that really really 
came together to to paint this picture. But again, you know, as Jeff said, it's uh, that part was mostly as just the build up. Um, no, I, I actually agree that the uh, that the apartment was 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 beautifully um, decorated uh, to be just as miserable as possible. Like when when the gun when he was okay, we'll get to the dancing later. But when he was. <laughs> dancing with the gun <laughs> and it and and uh, the 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 bullet rings off he goes up and he touches his like carpeted wallpaper and i was just like oh my god dude. <laughs> it, it would drive any man insane <laughs> and then like um little details like you know he he had to uh give his mom baths and everything like that, which, you know, by itself, it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a caring guy, but, uh, you know, you're being, uh, you're, you're giving a failure to launch because you have to take care of this mom. But I mean, even the detail in the bathroom, it's just that it's the most disgusting pink tile that you would expect, like an old lady to have as she was dying in an apartment in New Jersey somewhere. Like it, like, <laughs> Hit really, really hit all the bases uh, for setting it up, but you know, then then people start opening their mouths and <laughs> it all goes. <laughs> do do we want to go there yet? Uh, do we have any other good good things to talk about for this film? I, I I actually have a little bit to talk about the sim like the whole symbolism aspect of it and how, how it ties in. A little bit. I, I mean, I thought that if you took this story in kind of broad strokes, um, and um, as to the point of the stairs that Dan brought up, um, every time that you see Arthur Fleck climbing the stairs, like it's kind of a climb to normalcy. It's all the effort that he needs to do to become normal. And then the only time you really see him come down the stairs is when he's fully manifested as the Joker uh, in the grease paint and the purple suit and everything. And although the buildup like to where he got to the costuming and everything wasn't really there, the, the way that he descended the stairs, that joy that you could see on his face, even though it was really uncomfortable, it kind of showed like, oh, you know, this is my normal. This is my descent into normalcy. Like, I no longer have to try and live in the society that they've built. I can be insane and happy and just let myself kind of fall into the depths there. And kind of on that point, it's uh, it, when you look at the way that the mental illness is described here, it's that he doesn't really have a grasp on reality when he's trying to live everybody else's reality and that's where the statement like you know i always viewed my life as a tragedy but actually it's a comedy it's the perspective shift and it's what we talked about last time i think this is actually the strongest tie that it has to like the strongest joker um uh comic books that are out there it's just that he's not insane uh like he doesn't view himself as insane he views himself as reacting normally to an absolutely crazy world. And you kind of get a, a taste of that in this movie. That, like, he, yeah, he's insane. But, you know, the world around him is even more insane. And we're just kind of, like, plodding along into it. it it's it's kind of like an analogy to the, the real-life rat race that we're running. You know, everybody's just trying to get to a certain point, you know? But for him, 
he's, he realizes that if he just lets go, if he lets go of all, all of his inhibitions, if he just lets his all the crap that's in his head manifest and, and let it let it wild, that he can actually be happy. And that's kind of how it goes. But that's the extent of the good things that I have to say about this movie. <laughs> well, I will say that that one scene you're talking about, Jeff, where he's descending the stairways and dancing. To me, it was undercut at the end when the two police officers who are looking for him happen to show up at the top of the stairs and go, there he is, get him. And he runs away <laughs> as if he's like, I've arrived, I'm dancing around, I feel this, you know, I, uh, my life is a comedy and I've like, you know, I have this new perspective on life. Oh, crap, the police. And they runs away. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if you shared this thought, but I thought it would have been hilarious and it would have cut through everything because the chase itself wasn't tense. Like if they really wanted to make this, like, they had like little bits of uncomfortable comedy throughout this. Like when he runs into the glass door at the hospital, you're like, you, you kind of snicker and you're just like, Oh wait, this is supposed to be serious. Right? Like I feel as though when the police officers kind of like start chasing him, if he were to start just like shooting citizens in the street and stuff like that, but have Benny Hill music playing in the background, <laughs> You know what I'm saying, though? Like, it would be it would be like really gritty and urban, but like you wouldn't know whether or not to like laugh or be uncomfortable. But they chose to just keep on going dark with it. You know, like right. they, they they didn't choose to make it like even more purposely uncomfortable. I, I agree, Jeff. I think that would have been hilarious and also uncomfortable at the same. And it contrasts the final scene in the movie when he's back at Arkham Asylum yeah. and you know, he, he just murdered his psychiatrist and he's, you know, running away from the orderlies like Scooby-Doo style. And the yeah. music is like very lighthearted and hilarious. Yeah. Like I, I'm, you know, now that you bring up the police chasing. Yeah, I am surprised that um, there was there was a big tone difference between yeah. those two scenes. And, and maybe that that goes into the whole reality versus uh, uh, the imagination thing that we'll talk about at the end. Right. And I don't know, I mean, we'll get into the different Jokers and how we feel it fits in the pantheon of them. But, like, the, to me, the Heath Ledger Joker would not have run away from any of this. Or if he would have, he'd be that. running yeah. into a trap for the, everyone else chasing him. Yeah. And especially since he had already made that transition to becoming the Joker, right? I mean, the, the big transition occurred when he, you know, shanked, uh, shanked that big dude with scissors and then, um, you know, bashed his head against the wall. I, I think that was really when the, the transformation happens, right? So it's kind of strange that he, he just kind of runs away from these these police officers uh, slightly aimlessly, actually. I don't think there was really a plan for this. And it, and it just so happened he was able to run into a train full of like angry clowns that were willing to snap anybody's neck, and he got away with it. Yeah. Um, that happens in New York every, oh, yeah. every morning on the commute, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> What is this? Angry. The fucking the fucking nineteen nineties? Oh yeah, I listened to Insane Clown Posse too. Are you a juggalo? Ins full of juggalos. That's what happens. Oh man. Well, yeah, yeah, don't let Emil don't let Emil rub off on you. All right, don't don't become this pretentious New York jerk. Cause like, yeah, that's that's the way it is, you know. When you get underneath. <laughs> 59th and Broadway. It's all juggalos. I lived in New York. All right, fine. From now on, I'm gonna I'm gonna be pretentious Seattleite. Okay. That's what kind of coffee know. do you drink, bitch? Can you can you oh, can you can you handle your IPAs? 
Oh, you're, you're still smoking that strain? The Indica's so much more smooth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I want to transition this to uh, the things that we didn't like. Um, yes. Which, <laughs> which it surprisingly took us almost thirty minutes to get to. Um, so. I, uh, I I don't know if how we want to do this. Do we want Jeff just Jeff Lou unleashed? Dan Letty, <laughs> I, like, do you want, I see do... in the notes there's Jeff Lou ran here, and so I, <laughs> I don't want to get in the way of that. I I want to step jump out of the way. So <laughs> yeah, how, Jeff Lou's how, growling. How, <laughs> how how can I do this? Um, why why did the producers of the Purge basically uh, have Todd Phillips do a prequel for them? Um, what did Martin Scorsese have to do with any of this? Uh, like what, like, uh, you know, how do you take, uh, every caricature of a person that you could possibly find in New York and put and shove them into one movie? How do you have subtle racism at every turn of this fucking movie and, and still be like, Oh no, it's just art, man. That's just the way that you interpret it. Okay. <laughs> I, Let's let's start off with the way that uh, they view just everyday citizens in this thing. And Emil, you touched on this, and I was just like, from like as soon as he left the psychologist's office, everybody like it feels as though everybody was just like, okay. Your backstory of this character is angry black woman, and I go, you know. I'm just like, there's no subtlety to it at all. It's like, oh, you know, I'm an angry black woman on a bus. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, don't talk to my son, you know, you crazy dude. And you, you, you sit there and he, he has the, like, the card that he's handing out. And at that point, it's just like, what, like, what, what is this? You know, and why is Arthur, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but he's the only white guy on this entire bus. All right, so I don't know how, like, whether or not that is an like uh, an allusion to everything, but like, like even going into his apartment too, like it's all black people in his apartment, and I was like, is this on purpose? Like Zazie Beats is black, like all of his neighbors are black. It's, it's like every every moment of this movie was tinged with this kind of like subtle nod. It's like, oh, okay, yes. Arthur Fleck lives in a poor community. Here you go, you know? And then you go in and all the villains on the, on, on, uh, in this are like white guys and they're not, and they're white guys acting like, like the, the worst version of their stereotypes. I mean, just take Thomas Wayne. Do you guys watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember when the first time they go into Eagleton and then they're at the town? And then they're just like, the poor should view this as a punishment to them so that they can change themselves for the better. That's exactly what Thomas Wayne sounds like. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, these garbage, these garbage, garbage workers are on strike. And I don't know why everybody hates the rich. You know, we're the only ones that can save these people. Like there were real tones of like Donald Trump coming out of Thomas Wayne's mouth. You know, then you get to the caricatures of the Wall Street douchebags that were like in the fucking subway over there. And okay, A, if you're Wall Street douchebags, why are you in that train going to that part of town with the crew that you're in? 
is the new coolest dive bar in that town? Are you trying to be hip? You know? And why are two of your friends in complete suits and one of the one of the guys just looks absolutely trashed and is eating French fries? Alright? Okay, fine. You wanna put those guys as the villains? Alright. Whatever. Okay? Like, you have that woman there who is not acting in her own interest. If you are riding a bus in the middle of the night and three dudes come on and there's a dude in a clown clown suit <laughs> sitting right next to you, guess what, dude? You don't. You fucking move. Like, come on. Like, like it's an empty fucking train, all right? Like, if you're uncomfortable, you just move. That's the way it fucking goes. Oh my god! Like everybody in like and and the kids and we talked about this um in like in the lead up to this Emil like the kids who are taking advantage of of Arthur when he's like spinning the sign or whatever it's like oh yeah man go grab his sign yeah that's cool things to do and then Arthur's like running out there and I think it's just an opportunity for. Joaquin Phoenix to show that oh yeah you know I watched vaudeville too because as he's running past the uh or, or he he's uh, like like leslie actually told this to me and i thought it was a great joke so i want to i want to give props to her it's like arthur fleck runs in the opposite way that uh tom cruise runs in all of his movies like arthur fleck just <laughs> looked at tom cruise and it's like i'm gonna do the exact opposite of that and that's how he runs through this entire fucking thing like whether or not it's an arkham asylum whether or not it's chasing down his own sign like like oh i like i need to go pee i'm gonna run down this hallway and use the toilet he's got those like wild flailing arms and he, like it doesn't matter what type of shoes he's wearing it always seems as though his shoes are too big like there are so many things like there's nobody acting in their own self-interest here. And to top it all off, it's like, yes, you know what? The Hong Kong riots are going on right now. Let's fucking reference that every chance that we get. OK. And it's like, how how do you turn like there's a garbage person strike into like, let's kill the rich people. You know, that was the that was the battle cry of this whole crowd this entire time. <laughs> You know, like there was no, there's no, there's like a complete disconnect. It's like, yeah, you know, somebody's not paying the garbage workers. Fuck the rich. And then like everybody's kind of sitting there like, what about, no, 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 this is a sanitation partner. Motherfuckers aren't paying their taxes right now. That's your problem, you know? Like, I was just like, like, how does this fucking city work? Like, is it, is it just a straight up oligarchy? It's like, oh yeah, you know, um, the Waynes, the Waynes didn't want to pay the fucking uh, garbage collectors, the $20 to pick up their trash in the morning, which apparently is like a whole bullet train ride away from like actual Gotham City. Like Arthur was sitting in that train for five minutes and I guess it was an extrapolation, but like what? He lives in upstate New York and, and like is still running for mayor in, in Manhattan. I don't know how it works, Emil. You're going to have to educate me as to as to this shit. But it's just like... Yeah, he lives in Poughkeepsie. P- Poughkeepsie, and, okay. In the and far, near Ossining, where yeah. the first prison, Sing Sing's up there. He lives near Sing Sing. Yeah. Like, a little New York geography for you. Go on. But, I mean, you sit there and you're just like, how are all these people acting? These people watched a guy. And, okay, and, uh, like, I know I'm jumping everywhere, but Robert De Niro was not a terrible guy. Okay, he maybe made a joke at somebody else's expense, but he's a talk show host, you know, 
Like there's not, there's not a, like he didn't go and I don't know, like, like, like have a controversy about him. There was nothing about him that suggested that he was a remotely bad guy yet. Joker kills him on national television. Okay. Millions of people watching. And what happens when he steps out the studio? There's a mob of like clowns out there just waiting to like save him. Oh, he shot some guy on national TV. Let's steal a fucking police car or a, a fucking ambulance or whatever. And then when Joker gets dragged from the rubble of the destroyed police car, let's hoist him up like some sort of savior that died on a fucking cross and worship him as our new god of chaos. Fuck this movie. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to add that I think the Robert De Niro thing, he's also a character. I mean, yeah. you know, he, yeah. like, in, in the sense that, like, what TV show host, it, like, would be so cruel that it's like, oh, like, you know, like, they make fun of somebody and then they get them on the show clearly with the intention of making fun of them more, yeah. right? I, I, I think that, you know... you. He he kind of plays into that whole like Gotham is a bunch of characters. Uh, riots started because uh, you know the trash wasn't picked up. Uh, a revolution started because some clown shot three Wall Street dudes in the subway. Yeah. Um, it, it this almost seems like the 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 city of Gotham's like the city of South Park, just like a bunch yeah. of like <laughs> aimless people that are just like swayed by like one like action. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole revolution made made no sense to me. It was it was just. I think just in general, to a lot of Jeff's points, with is just I think Sorry. they were trying to force in all this social commentary into a story that really didn't God. need it. God, like this this is the Joker in the age of uh, Trump and the me you know Me Too and the ninety nine percent or one percent thing and all, yeah all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point of no subtlety, I was, you know, when I try not to read too many reviews before I watch a movie, but uh, some of my coworkers were talking about how, oh, you know, what makes this movie great is it's a it's a reflection of how we treat people with mental illness. And I was like, this is this is crash for people with mental illness. It's just another movie that addresses a sensitive topic with a bunch of characters that, that are there to help move you to, to feel a certain way and to feel sympathy. And it, it, it just, it was, it was just too extreme. I would be moved if I could actually relate to the people that were making Arthur Fleck feel shitty, yeah. you know? But I don't identify with any of those people. Yeah. And these aren't people that I know. And they're not the people that we see on the streets of New York. Or Oh, I'm sorry. These aren't people <laughs> that we <laughs> These aren't people that we see on the streets of my beloved Seattle. You know, like, nobody is turning out and being like, hey, you know, remember, you know, remember last Thursday when we went and beat up on that mentally ill kid? Yeah, <laughs> like... That was great. Let's 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 crack a cold one and do it again. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, like where does this happen? I can understand like subtle discrimination that happens everywhere. Yeah. You know that that sort of thing happens everywhere. 
But this is not a comment as to that. Even when the social programs in Gotham gets get cut, like when Arthur's um, social worker gets taken away from him and it's like, oh, but where am I supposed to get my meds now? I'm like, dude, like, what what the fuck are you – like, the, the government is not – is not, like, mandating that you take all this shit, you know? Like, this is, this is like, a socially funded service, and just because the it got cut off doesn't mean that the rich are to blame for it. Like, I don't I, – <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I'm defending the rich – in this, but it's such a broad USA, USA. It's such a broad term in this. Like, and the only people I feel as though were rich. It's like the whole town went crazy, and the only person that the only people that were affected were the stupid people that were watching the black and white cartoon or whatever in the, the theater. Charlie Chaplin, the Charlie Chaplin like movie in the theater while the riots were going on outside. You know what I'm saying? Like even the last like like vignette that we see is like, oh, hey, hey Martha, you know uh, the riots are 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 really taking off tonight. Let's go, let's go take our son Bruce to watch the Mask of Zorro, and it'll be such a joyous time. So they take Wait, the bullet train. It was for- the Gay Blade of Zorro. The Gay Blade of Zorro. So they took the bullet train 40 minutes in from Newark or wherever the fuck, you know, like the limo. (laughs) (laughs) And then they went down to a theater in downtown Gotham, 40 minutes away from their estate. So they can watch the only showing of the gay blade of Zorro. (laughs) It's just like, how is this happening? How, how is Thomas Wayne a success? If he can't make (laughs) these judgment calls, (laughs) He would not get my vote. That, yeah. <laughs> you would run I'm a great sorry. slander campaign against Thomas Wayne, Jeffrey. I'm, I'm sorry. Have you considered office? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just like, I don't get it. Because, I mean, beyond just all the background characters just losing their damn mind over this, I didn't find Arthur's transition from like, soft-spoken guy that takes care of his mom to homicidal sociopath convincing at all like i like i just did not see it like even the murder of the friend that gave him the gun made no sense to me at all i just i just didn't get it like i really don't and maybe that's because i'm not a sociopath and Killing three dudes in a subway didn't awaken something dark in me, but like I, you, you know, like how do you how do you justify that? I don't understand the transition at all. Maybe you're not supposed to, and maybe that's the joke of it all. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That was, and no, I, but I, I completely I, agree. The downfall of the movie that for me is the the story just didn't like it didn't have the proper arc. You didn't follow his descent in madness properly. Cause you, you never, you didn't, couldn't understand how he could get to that point of, of being a homicidal maniac. Right. I actually think that the danger of this film is that it, it shows that there's no accountability. Basically Arthur, Arthur Fleck is, uh, is blaming all of his problems on society, you know, 
like it's all the social pressures that caused him to snap. It was the social pressures that caused him to kill all those people. And at the end, they're portraying him as some sort of sympathetic, like anti-hero. But I don't feel bad for him. I felt bad for him at the beginning. I don't feel bad for him at the end at all. And that's the thing. I, I, I completely agree. I did not feel like I was in his corner at the end of the movie either. Um, and I don't know if that was really the intent. Did did people stand up and cheer in the movie theater that, that you were in when he got hoisted up like Jesus Christ? I, I don't think so. I think, I think the whole thing ended still rather uncomfortably and you're – People are kind of like, ooh, like, how did he get here? I, I don't think people cheered when he blew Robert De Niro's head off. Um, I, I, I don't really see him as as becoming a sympathetic hero at the end. I don't know, Dan. What do you, what do you think? No, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think he, he's sympathetic at that point. I mean, yeah, it just seemed way over the top to so just like spark an entire revolution in a city. Uh, because first you murder three guys in a subway car and then you shoot someone on national TV. Yeah. Fuck the rich. Yeah. <laughs> when I was sitting in the theater, I don't know if you guys like, um, listen to the conversations as you guys left the theater, but my take on the movie is not the majority take because there was a lot of people that were walking out of the theater and just be like, wow, you know, like, so that's how people go crazy and stuff like, like, like they, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. And that makes me a little bit uneasy. Worried. Yeah. It yeah. makes me a little bit uneasy because it's not just like, I, I, I think the biggest problem I have with it is that I think that Arthur made a lot of choices you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. that he was forced into a corner. <clears throat> like, there was no real tragedy that occurred to him, you know? He was adopted, tied up, and abused. Yeah, but his... that was afterwards. I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, that was far beforehand, you know? It, it's almost as if the revelation of it was enough to justify him killing his mother, you know? And it's like, oh, he was abused. I guess it's okay that he shot those three guys. I mean, yeah, those guys are douchebags. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. Like, Arthur made a lot of choices. He's been beat up before. You know, he's been beat up by kids. And he's being beat up by drunk guys. You know, and I, I feel as though it's like, what? why then? Why then did it make him snap? Was it because he lost that great job with perfect health benefits that, like, served him so well for such a long time? You know? Was it when he made the choice, like... When the when when his friend gave him the gun and he was just like, yep, I didn't want this gun, but now I want this gun and I'm going to make the choice to bring it to the children's hospital. Was it then like I, I just don't get it. I, I don't I don't sympathize with the choices that he made, you know, like like even if he even if he hadn't lost his job at the children's hospital. OK, like re- really, you, you know? Do you think that the 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 way that the arc was going, that he would have avoided becoming this in any way? I don't think so. You know, like he was he was already hallucinating. He was already had had delusions of grandeur right from the get go. You know, like one of the first scenes that we see is him imagining himself, you know, telling his life story on the 
whatever the Maury Povich show or whatever Robert De Niro's character's name was, <laughs> you know, and and like everybody standing and clapping for him and him imagining that Robert De Niro was his father, and I'm just like, okay, you know, yeah, that sucks. People, that people don't clap for that on the Maury Povich show. Yeah, okay, yeah, they they cry when the dad when the dad is announced. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm just you know I I don't know at what po- I, I feel as though the story pigeonholed Arthur, you know, mm-hmm. he, they didn't give him a way out at all. Um, it wasn't like, Oh, if certain things had gone differently, then maybe we wouldn't be in this position in the film. I think that, I think he was screwed right from the, from the start, you know, it, it, it like no matter what he did, he would have eventually like ended up the way that he was. Isn't that, is that a, is that a tragedy or is that a comedy or is that both? I, I, I think it's – I think it is lazy writing. I, I, I don't but, think... but in the context of his own life though is what I'm saying because he's always like, oh, all my life – I'm not doing a good Joaquin. Um, all my life <laughs> I, I thought my life was a tragedy but – or did he say a drama? I can't remember a tragedy, if it's a tragedy or a tragedy. Tragedy. tragedy, yeah. yeah. Um, but now I, I see it's a comedy. So, I mean, but, I, I guess a but a he's not character... fucking funny too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it like, I mean, maybe the the comedy of it all is that he was destined for this, or is that the tragedy of it all? Maybe that maybe maybe that's yeah. I don't know. I mean, Dan, did you make any sense of it? No, not really. But I'm curious. This this storyline, this this um, origin story. I mean, I, I I think there's a lot of issues with it. But how does it compare to the other origin stories that you guys have? You know, that's that's in the Killing Joke or any of the other um, things that you guys have read. Well, I I think that this story it, it tries very hard to track pretty closely to the Killing Joke where kind of a litany of bad events leads to this man becoming crazy. But the reason that the killing joke was so good was because it showed Joker's descent into madness and how he, you know, through this course of events, he became crazy. And when he put commissioner Gordon through the same, through a a similar set of like, terrible events where Barbara, like Barbara, his daughter got shot. She was raped. Uh, he was kidnapped. They showed him pictures of the rape and all that sort of stuff, essentially to like give him the opportunity to show you can be crazy too. And at the very end, they do kind of this dichotomy between Jim Gordon's choice and Joker's choice. And then they bring Batman into the mix as well and be like, and, and Batman, also laughs maniacally at the end, the same as Joker. So you kind of question, it's like, oh, is Batman crazy? So it's not so much the, like, story, uh, like, the the progression of how it goes, of how Joker became crazy, but it's everybody's different reaction to it. And here, I think you're only given one perspective. You know, you're only given Arthur Fleck's perspective, and it's insufficient, because... As as that, I mean, honestly, it's kind of boring. So a whole bunch of bad shit happens to you, and then you start killing folks. Like, 
okay, I guess, you know, like I'm not invested in any of the characters that you killed. So why does that matter to me? I'm not invested in you as a character. So why do you matter to me? There's, there's really nothing there. Right. Well, I think one of the things that I really liked about the Heath Ledger Joker was that he was so manipulative and deceiving. And I didn't get that at all with this Joker. And I mean, like there was kind of some like hallucinations or like you could think that like you could look at some of the story and say, like, was that did that actually really happen? But I mean, I I would have liked to see more of that where you come away, like, you know, questioning, Okay, we just saw this this origin story, but is some of it not true? Is any of it true? Like, you know, is he just telling this like in Arkham Asylum? Like, yeah, I I think they missed an opportunity there. I, I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. So and this, this was one of the notes that I wrote down uh, while I was watching it is, you know, what was the punchline? What was Joker's punchline? Because I remember, Jeff, you know, you, you talked about one of the downfalls of Jared Leto. Uh, one of one of his many downfalls was he had no purpose. Right. There was no punchline. And, and I kind of felt that the same way about this Joker, like everything he did was predictable. You know, the, the moment that you he went on that show, even though he practiced blowing his brains out, uh, you knew that he was going to shoot Robert De Niro. Yeah. I, I don't think there was anybody in the theater that was, like, shocked by this. Um, you knew that he was going to, you know, uh, kill his mom in a, with a pillow uh, in that hospital. You knew he was going to shank his clown buddy to death. I mean, there was no surprises, and there was no... Um, there was just no punchline. Like the, the the one scene that I I thought that was kind of like his first crack at you know uh, a punchline that didn't come through was when he deadbolted the door and then you know killed the tall clown and then the uh, the dwarf clown couldn't get out. Like that was the perfect scene for him to have like set it up and like like laughed maniacally when as that that short. Um, as the midget clown couldn't get out. Right. But instead it was a very, very reactive moment where he was like, Oh, (laughs) of course I got to I got to get that for you. Totally Um, agree. He could have, he could have played with that and had so much fun with, with that guy for so long. Exactly. Exactly. Instead it was like, Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that would have been a perfect Joker moment where, you know, he had this whole thing set up where he kills the tall one, the little one tries to get out and is, is frantically like, you know, trying to get out while Arthur's just standing there laughing. And, and cause by the time that the little one was trying to get out of the room, like he knew that, that Arthur wasn't going to kill him. So there was no I, real tension oof, there. I didn't get that at all. I, I mean, I, oh, really? I, I, I agree with you that that scene could have been done better, but I, I thought they butchered that scene. I like, because Arthur essentially became a bully at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like after he killed that guy, yeah, and, and I was really just shitty. There was all this tension that built up when um, the midget was in the corner, and you're just like, oh fuck, is he gonna kill him? Is he gonna kill him? Is he gonna kill him? And then he says, no, you can go, you can go, in that voice. And then as soon as he gets close to Arthur, he scares the midget, and I'm just like, that's not funny like like that's not there's no there's nothing there he really is at that point he's just a high school bully 
Um, I, and that's when I thought, like, I, I agree with you guys completely that they should have, like, made him laugh. They start, they should have had him tell a joke at that point. Come and come up and, like, I don't know, like, touch his face or some way, like, point to his face. Like, show them that the Joker character had been born or that the Joker had been born. But they they just twisted it into in, into something that was completely boring. Like it, it's it's not enough to be chaotic. There was no motivation behind the decisions that he made there at all. Like like as the Joker or not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think I'm going to wrap. Well, not wrap this episode up, but uh, tie this into the whole. Uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman arc sort of thing, because I, I felt like that whole thing was just forced into the movie. Um, I laughed hard when um, when um, Bruce and Martha Wayne got killed, and like they just had to throw in there like the the pearl necklace getting ripped off. I yeah. was like, yeah, wh- why did you why did you have to force that in there? It's like, yeah, yeah. it didn't need to, <laughs> n- none of that needed yeah. to be there. You could have yeah. done this movie without Batman like entirely. Yeah. 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 And at that point, I was like, "Dude, what is? Are, are they going to show you know Peter Parker getting bit by a spider next? Like, it's just... in in the same alleyway? Yeah, <laughs> Superman crashes in from Krypton. <laughs> You're in the DC universe, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the whole the yeah the whole Batman uh, or trying to turn that into an origin story was just was, was just such a it was just so it was like low hanging fruit for like for people with like no brains to be like oh my god like don't, like you know, yeah punch the shoulder of the person oh my god did, did you get it did you get it that's batman that's how batman got created dude <laughs> Again, no subtlety. <laughs> okay, wait, the, I, I have to touch this for a second. Like, the, the half-brother thing? Thomas Wayne being, like, Arthur's father or whatever? Like, who cares? Honestly, I feel as though they tried to tie this whole thing up. It's like, oh, they're related. And in the end, the Joker created the Batman. I'm like, y'all don't get it. Like, you really don't. You don't understand why the relationship of these two characters is so important. You don't need to make them related. I mean, this isn't, this isn't like a stepbrother porno or something <laughs> like that, you know? Like, <laughs> there's, the, there's, no, there's no additional payoff, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh no, you're the Batman, but you're my stepbrother. <laughs> it was kind of Games of Throne, Thronesy. You know, like, yeah. like, what family are you? Are you Targaryen? Are you Stark? Well, oh, yes. maybe you're both. That is that is such an apt comparison. <laughs> or a Korean drama where everybody's related in the end, and <laughs> bit of a bit of a stretch out uh, beyond Dan's uh, realm. But uh, <laughs> you don't know. Hate to spoil yeah. every Korean drama <laughs> ever. I like it. Yeah, that's true. You, yeah, you don't you... know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know you. You don't know me. My you, Netflix account. Um, so I think this ties into the the most important aspect of this movie is is theories, because uh, 
because the end of the movie is left a little bit open-ended where it, it cuts to Joker in Arkham Asylum. He's... Uh, the, the whole time, apparently, he was sitting across the table from another psychiatrist. Uh, all of the events that have unfolded in the film are going on in his mind. Not to say that they're true or untrue. They, they're just going on in his mind. So audience members are left to wonder, okay, did those events really happen? Or are they just a story that he made up in his mind? Well, hold on. Um, My take on it was that, like, you were were watching everything in real time. And then it just cut to months later he was in Arkham Asylum. I don't know. Did you guys feel that this was his retelling in, in an interview? Um, well, so there's certain things that people, well, there's certain reasons why people speculate that it's him just thinking about this and making it up in his mind. And one of them is the social worker and the psychiatrist being very, very similar in appearance, mm-hmm. posture, the way that scene is filmed um, is is very similar. I can I can see that side, but I also don't, I, I, I think... I'm of the belief that these are the events that actually happened because if if it was just him making up a story in his mind about himself making up imaginary dates and events it, it, there's just too many layers of narrative here for it to to make any sense and, and maybe that's the joke the the, the joke is on us for spending you know two hours and you know twenty dollars a person uh, on tickets and popcorn to, to watch this shit but man, man, I, theater, I, theaters in seattle are expensive 20 bucks no no that was with my popcorn oh. i actually got his five dollar tickets because i i'm an amc stubs member so on tuesdays i get to see movies for five dollars there you me me and all my friends actually there so. you go bragging again yeah are you gonna get sponsored <laughs> by amc now yeah <laughs> amc <laughs> It's AMC amazing. I used to work there too, so uh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I love I love my AMC, but yeah, I, I don't know, it, Dan. It sounds like your your perspective is that it all it all these are all actual events, and I I tend to agree. Uh, Jeff, I don't know what your your thoughts are. You, you know, actually, now that you two mentioned it, um, I, I, I feel as though it's another wasted opportunity because they they left it ambiguous, right? I mean, Emil, you have your take on it. Dan, you have you know your take on it. And I like I didn't think about it until just this moment. But if we re- like because they did it the way that they did it, it, it doesn't matter whether whether or not it's real or fake or whether or not it's it's a perception or anything like that because this version of Joker is the version that we're getting. You know, it's canon at this point, you know, it's it's either canon in its own little universe, but um, or it, they're they're going to try and tie it into the DC universe in some way. It, one way or the other, this exists. This is an interpretation of the Joker. Now, if if they had done something at the end where it shows Joaquin Phoenix, you know, at the age that he's at, um, you know, as the Joker and, and everything like that, you know. And then they pan out and you see the Batman, like a fully aged Batman. And you could have been like, whoa, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. What, why is Batman fully aged at that point? Like he hasn't made the connection that Bruce Wayne is Batman or anything like that. And you could be like, oh, he really is crazy. 
or or something along those lines. You know, that if you wanted to do a tie-in, that would have been a great scene to do it in. If you wanted to like break down the potential that the Joker was not a reliable narrator, that would have been a great scene to do it. You know, that would be a great way to kind of undercut the ambiguity of this entire film. And it, I, I mean, for whatever artistic this, the film has on its own, I don't think you would have undercut it by inserting that one scene. By singing stuff. Yeah, mm. like by, by inserting like the Batman sitting there or, you know, ha- like as he got wheeled down the hallway or something like that, kind of like a um, the uh, the usual suspect sort of thing. Like he, he was like just creating this all in his mind. You walk by you see a clown mask on the floor or something like that, or in, or in a prop room. Really what a lot of people are leaning on is the defense of this film. It's like, Oh, you guys don't get it because you guys aren't artistic enough. Like, like really, you know, like just because it's artistic doesn't mean it, it, it it's a good movie. Yeah. Like, or, or just because you say you want to say that being artistic as a defense doesn't mean that it excuses it from having, any sort of like structure or anything like that or any point, you know, art is supposed to have a point what, and it can be open to interpretation, but like you still need it to mean something. I don't think this, uh, like at the end of the day, I think that if this was supposed to be a odyssey into the mind of a, of a deranged man or a mentally ill person, like this is just what Emil said when we opened up this thing, just name it something else, you know, you know, name it, Name it, you know, like uh, a mysterious tale into the mind of Arthur or whatever, you know, how, however you want to put it, whatever, you know, like inside John Malkovich or like two or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> being John Yeah, Malkovich. being John Malkovich, yeah. whatever. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if you wanted to market it at that, don't put the commercial thing that will sell tickets as the title. You know, don't make it like that. Um I, I think you undercut your credibility for you, you know your your artistic credibility by putting the name Joker on it, and unfortunately, that's the truth. You know, like you you if if you want artistic credibility for making um, a a piece of art with a very commercialized character, you better fucking knock it out of the park. Otherwise, everything's going to be called in question to see whether or not you 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 did this for a paycheck. It seems like they needed like a one big punchline at the end one big like joke yeah. that's like just hits home and they squandered it yeah 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 and to your point jeff and also to yours dan like it, there was a setup for a usual suspects moment right here yeah right mm-hmm. because if all of this just happens in his head and he's not telling this to anybody then who cares like it, like nobody in his universe is invested in whether or not this story is real if he's not telling it to anyone, um, which leads me back to my theory that, you know, it, it's kind of meta, but the the jokes on us, the jokes on us for making it be more than what it really is, and and um, you know, I, I wrote this in my notes, but this is kind of like an Andy Kaufman troll job right? where um you know i think about that scene from man on the moon where um he's like sitting in the tv studio and he's like dude let's do this thing where as part of the show the tv starts um scrambling a little bit and then viewers at home are going to go up to their tv and, and slam on the top of it to try to fix it 
I, I don't know if you remember this scene, but it, it's hilarious. And, and that's exactly what I was like. If Todd Phillips is really a comic genius, he would be doing something like this to make us, you know, go around in circles and trying to make sense of this or trying to defend it or trying to justify all this into making it something a lot more beautiful than than it, what it is in reality. That, I, yeah, I think that that makes the joke on us. And if that's the case and he comes out and says it, I think it'd be I think it'd be hilarious. I. I... Do you think Todd Phillips is like a meta? Do you think it's more likely that Todd Phillips is like a meta genius, or he made a somewhat crappy movie? <laughs> See, now you're playing with what? statistics here, man. That's not that's that's not what this podcast is about, I, I, right? I'm going to lean towards crappy movie because Todd Phillips is the guy that leans on uh, Zach Galifianakis's uh, comedy chops. I will entertain the theory that Todd Phillips is a genius. Just briefly here. Um, okay. I, I still don't think it excuses the movie. Because if if he's doing all this shit as an inside joke, then it's an expensive-ass inside joke. You know what I'm saying? And you're ruining a lot of, like... You're ruining a lot of goodwill that's been, that's been put into a character for years that you didn't create. Okay, like you're 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 playing with the house's money at this point. You're playing with stuff that people are invested in. But if it is all a big joke, there is one thing that I thought about that I can't give any credit to, but, you know, may also uh, act as kind of a catalyst for the whole usual suspects theory is that towards the beginning of the film, it is implied that Arthur has been in Arkham Asylum before. Because one of the scenes is him slamming his head against the window in a padded cell. And it is never referenced again. Not until he ends up in uh, Arkham Asylum at the very end of the movie. So maybe he made up the whole middle part. But if that's the case, guess what? Like, that's not enough to frame your story. You know, you can't just say... Oh, the people who are real fans are going to get it. It's like, no, we didn't have your notes. We didn't see the cuts to this. Like, there's no there's no way that, like, anybody could have gotten to that conclusion without guessing. And if you're forcing people to guess and calling those people the truest fans, I, I think that's I think that's a cop out. So what is your theory, Jeff Liu? <laughs> I see something written down. That's that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Arthur Fleck? You gotta you gotta break down the history of the DC universe here, right? So, the DC universe, as you know, has been going through a lot of changes recently because of uh, the departure of Henry Cavill uh, as Superman and the departure of uh, Ben Affleck as uh, as Batman. And the character's name in the Joker is Arthur Fleck and Fleck is just, just an odd surname, but it's Arthur Fleck. It's a Fleck. It's Affleck. Jim Carrey is going to be playing the Riddler in the new Batman movie. That's my theory. Actually, it's going to be Paul Dano, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dan, do you have any, uh, any theories to, to add on to this? Any other thoughts? I, I think any theories beyond that would just be giving too much credit to 
see the production <laughs> to team, Phillips. to Todd Phillips and the writers. You were, you were brought onto this production to be the fair and neutral arbiter to our to our craziness, Dan. Come on. <laughs> I think adding any more theories would just be adding to the craziness. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to bring up because I see this in your notes, Emil, and I do think it's 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 worth mentioning is is you had questioned, do we need this origin story for the Joker? Um, and I would say no, we don't. That I uh, one of the things I enjoyed about the Heath Ledger Joker, which I keep going back to again and again, you can tell is probably my favorite one, is that you don't know where the hell he came from. He just sort of appeared as a sort of like mere dystopian image of of the batman and uh, you know like you, you don't get ground down into the 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 origin story and what happened and how it happened you're just like focused in what's going on currently so i don't know i don't think they needed to do it i think it's just probably a, a money play to... i i completely agree i think once again this is um you know, hey, we're Hollywood's in the business of selling tickets, right? So, they made a movie. They they took a a name, a very big name. Uh, they did something that had never been done before, and they capitalized on our generation's obsession with a dark interpretations of people. Um, so, the moment you tie darkness uh, to Joker, or really, if you tie darkness to any character, whether it be you know, Superman, Batman, Joker, um, you know, Cato, Green Hornet. Uh... Yeah, Jay Chow played that real dark. <laughs> <laughs> but anytime, anytime you you throw you know, the adjective dark to anything, like our generation will eat that shit up because apparently that's the only way you can interpret people in a in, in a new way. So. I completely agree. We did not need this film, and it sold tickets, and it will continue to sell tickets, which is fine. It just it just shouldn't receive the accolades that it is right now. So you're blaming millennials? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they're damn avocado toast. <laughs> Fucking avocado toast. If there's any good to come out of this, it's just that, hey, there's one more interpretation of the Joker. And because the Joker's... Or like real origin is just left to be ambiguous. This may be one more story that could have been like uh, dropped into the litany of stories that Heath Ledger's Joker was were kind of putting forward as how he came to be. So I'll leave it to that. You know, like um, this didn't need to be a movie. This is not going to be, this. This didn't need to be a full length movie. It's not going to be a classic. And the only benefit that I can see out of it is that it can maybe inspire better storytelling in the future. So give Jeff Lou a camera. Give me a f- is, is the last. <laughs> give me a fucking camera. <laughs> I'll I'll film you an Irish Joker movie. <laughs> Martin Scorsese, let's talk. <laughs> you know he was a producer on this film. No, but I, I mean, I don't know if you if you guys like. I don't know if I'm reading it in, into it, but like Scorsese and we brought this up at the Departed. Uh, during the Departed podcast, and actually, when I was sitting in the movie, I thought about you, Dan, right when I said this. Really? Yeah, I I, I thought about it because like there's there's this technique that De, uh, that not De Niro um, that Scorsese does is that sometimes when he's going in um, uh, to a scene, he sometimes just cuts off the musical soundtrack abruptly to kind of 
shock the audience into paying attention again. And they did that a couple of times in this film because it's a booming, booming soundtrack and it's all well-known um, songs. And then it just abruptly cuts off sometimes. I was like, dude, that's very Scorsese. And then the one scene that I did think about was when they they were all making fun of the midget when Arthur – or I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was right when um, Arthur – it was right before Arthur had to go and talk to his boss about uh, being, reimbursed, being reimbursed for the sign. Like he walked off from the locker room laughing, like laughing super hard. And you couldn't tell if it was con- his condition or he was actually laughing at the jokes that were being told in the locker room. But then it just abruptly cuts off. And I don't know if that was a I don't know if that was a decision by Joaquin Phoenix or if it was like um, they were taking some pointers from Martin Scorsese or whatever. But it, it distinctly had kind of that blanket Scorsese film. And apparently Martin Scorsese walked out of the screening of this film like he he didn't choose to finish the film. So like he didn't give a reason for it. I mean, he may have had other obligations, but apparently he didn't stay out, stay the whole time for the screening of this film. Not enough bagpipes. Flogging Mollies. Was it Flogging Mollies or am I just being like uh, really, really, really? It was really Dropkick Murphys. Dropkick Murphys. Dropkick Murphys. You were close. <laughs> no, don't give me that, dude. You got, <laughs> you got to hold me accountable, man. <laughs> Flogging Mollies. Come on. <laughs> Well, I think that takes us to the end of this episode. Dan Luddy, thank you so much for joining us for this. Uh, always we need a pleasure. you on more of our we need you on more of the uh, the movie reviews since uh, Jeff and I uh, on the other side. Oh, always happy little... to be the guy saying, "Well, maybe it wasn't so bad, guys." <laughs> come on, come on, guys! Don't don't be so mean. <laughs> the effects were good. <laughs> I like no. some of the soundtrack. No, but Dan, you you like you really bring a perspective to this film, uh, to to like all the reviews that um, you're on. That it, it just it just makes it makes me think. I, I know that it um, allows for additional talking points for Emil and like me both. So yeah, we really appreciate it every time that you come on. Well, it's it's yeah, absolutely, it's great, and um, big fan of the podcast. Keep do, keep doing Thanks, your good man. work. <laughs> hey. Hey, our, our our twenty listeners appreciate it. So we, we we don't need any more plugs from you, Dan. Don't worry about it. This is Emil Wang with the Wang Bang Podcast. This is Dan Luddy. And this is Jeff Lou. Keep, Keep on, on banging. 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 Awesome. Yeah, I should put that in. <laughs> Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. 